0: I'm home. Welcome to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, an introspective look at video gaming from the classic era to the modern day. Now, here is your host, Brian. Hey, folks, what's going on out there? Brian here, and this is episode number 41 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Okay, when last we left off, um, I put in about a month straight at the arcade working Saturday nights. Um, The first couple of times I closed, it was a little awkward. I was still learning things, and I didn't quite have my bearings as to what exactly to do with certain things. But the last couple of weeks have been pretty easy, especially tonight. Um, Let's see... Uh, unfortunately, Hannah quit. She had issues with our, with our owner, and she decided to quit, which is a, a massive pity because, I've said it before, or at least I think I said it to other people. Um, Hannah reminds me of my former roommate when I first met her in Orlando. She had the same kind of energy. She was like what 22, um, just working like three jobs herself and, you know, just got, I mean, she quirky as hell and in a charming way and, you know, really cool person to have conversations with. And she had her goals and dreams and ambitions. And I respected that, you know, because not too many people that early, you know, really want, really know what they want to do in their lives God only knows I was a complete and total spaz at 22 in a lot of ways, but, you know, it's a pity that she, you know, she quit, you know, because, yeah, I mean, I talked to Thaddeus about it, and she, he was, he felt the same way, and I actually, been speaking of that, I actually met the owner for the first time tonight, <laughs> he walked up and started talking to me about, you know, what was in the till and things like that, and I'm like, you're Mike, right? And he's like, Yeah. And I'm like, Okay, this is the first time I met you. I'm not gonna talk to somebody I don't know about, you know, what's in the till and whatnot. So yeah. Um I got paid, threw my money in the bank, all's good. Um tonight was very interesting <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um it started off slow but then it really started picking up. I mean, oh you know, it's you know the numbers from what john who is the other guy who works you know openings on saturdays it's what he told me said it was really slow and then shortly after he left people just started showing up so you know it was it was a good night uh let's see what else is going on um just working uh i have a friend of the family uh staying with us um That's an adjustment for everybody involved, especially my son, who also had his birthday last week. You know, he's now seven years old, and um, he got a a couple of presents, one from his um, uh, ABA therapist and uh, a bunch from me and his mother, uh, including a brand new bike. (laughs) It's kind of funny because I bought him a bike for uh, Christmas, and he quickly outgrew it. Um that bike was made more for like, you know, kids under, you know, four feet tall and under, I think. And he was already at, you know, just about to turn seven. He's already closing in on four and a half feet tall. So, yeah. And so I had to buy him a bigger bike and I got it assembled. We had to go to um Meyer to get the proper training wheels for it because He's not quite ready for uh, unassisted bike riding. You know, I'm probably going to let him more or less determine it. Once I f- see that he's handling the bike in a really good manner, then I'll take you know talk to him about taking the training wheels off, and that's going to be interesting because he's going to have to learn how to keep that bike on balance while he's riding it. And it's going to take a while, and it's going to, you know, just like with all, with every last one of us when we learned how to ride a bike, you know, we fell down, we skinned our knees, we skinned our elbows, you know, we hurt ourselves, but we got right back on that bike because the feeling of freeding, freedom, as I should say, uh, to quote uh, a friend of mine, is unparalleled, you know, especially at that age. Um, let's see, so that's pretty much what's going on with me. Um... I did a check of uh, emails and voicemails and everything else and still nothing. so once again, I'm going to say if you've got any questions, thoughts, comments as long as you keep them civil, if you've you know got a game that you know is a favorite of yours that you want me to cover and I haven't covered it already, get a hold of me arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Also, there's a phone number for voicemails for the exact same thing. That number is 734-743-2433. Also, social media is ongoing as always. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. On Facebook, you just search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict. They'll take you right to the page. There's a conf- uh, a discussion group that is uh, attached to it. Also, um... Let's see, that's where I get most of my interaction these days, except for every once in a while on Instagram. Uh, the Instagram address is at Arcade Addict Brian. Uh, Twitter is Arcade underscore B. And Tumblr is tumblr.com slash blog slash confessions of an arcade addict. So there are multiple ways of getting hold of the show. And if you if you have any sort of inkling to do so don't be shy you know i'm here for the conversation so anyway with that out of the way let's get right onto the show and i've got a lot to talk about and it's already three in the morning because i got caught up playing streets of rage four and when i looked at the time i immediately cursed myself out so without any further ado let's get right down to it arcade rundown Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it, is to make Stefan believe Townsend's information. As always, should you or any of your I.M. force be caught or killed, the Secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Arcade Rundown. Church Street Station Arcade, Orlando, Florida. Okay, as I've said, uh, about the time I lived in Florida, I was always on the hunt for arcades, and my roommate knew about quite a few of them. Um, one day, while we were just messing around downtown, uh, we were checking out Church Street Station because she was told by a friend that there was an arcade, um and we were just exploring it you know it's a quirk it was i should say was it was a quirky little shopping and dining spot in downtown orlando um just the way it was constructed there were multiple staircases leading to you know leading to different floors i think it had three floors maybe four i can't remember i think it was three but it might have been four but at Either way, um, there was an elevator to get to each floor, but at the top of Church Street Station, there was an arcade there, and it was actually a pretty decent place. Um, let's see, before I mean, before they started tearing down uh, Church Street Station in the late '90s, going into the early 2000s, uh, people around town and tourists alike swore by the place. It was it was pretty cool. I mean, it had shops, bars, restaurants, and on Friday and Saturday nights, there would be street music. You know, it felt sort of like a, a New Orleans in miniature. I mean, it was really cool just to, you know, hang out there and, you know, grab a bite to eat or grab, a, you know, a couple of drinks with some friends. You know, it was a really cool place to socialize. It really was. But as I said, the main attraction for me and my roommate was that there was a nice arcade on the on the top floor um you get there by the elevator or the stairs um we love the place because they had the the latest games and anytime i went there on the weekend on a friday or excuse me friday saturday or sunday um it was pretty busy you know so you know it was just fun just to go there play some games and you know just you know just hang out there i mean You could go to a restaurant, get something to eat, you know. And Orlando wasn't quite on its way uh, down at the time. um, I have to say that Orlando's made quite the comeback in the, what, 18, 19 years since I left. Uh, When I went back there in uh, 2010, um, when I was doing my test driving... Um, I had a little time, so I did a little um, excursion uh, on my way down to Fort Myers. I did an excursion and went to Orlando and just, you know, hung out there for a little while, met a couple of friends and everything else just to see everything that was going on. I mean, downtown was, dare I say, vibrant, you know, as I was driving through there on like a uh, early... What was it? Thursday evening, I think, maybe Wednesday evening. I can't remember now. But um, you know, it, Orlando has become a little bit better of a town than I remember uh, going the, in the late nineties, going into going towards two thousand, because a lot of places got shut down, and uh, a local radio ho- radio host started calling the place Oblando because you know by the time six or seven o'clock rolled around it was a ghost town because all the people who worked downtown you know would leave to go home and there was just nothing there for a couple of years um for about three months i had a job downtown at the courthouse as a file clerk um there would be an hour lunch break from like 12 to 1 and You know, as I'm in the break room eating my lunch, I would get just sick and tired of hearing all the female employees uh, complaining about their husbands or verbally abusing the other two males in our uh, office. You know, it was pretty bad, and it was just one of those things where I'm like, I don't want to even be witness to this, never mind being a part of it, so I'm going to get out of here. So I would just you know make my lunch, eat it really quick, and then I would just take a little jaunt over to the arcade for about half an hour before I had to boogie back on to, back to work. Um, this was a great place. I loved it, and I was really unhappy when it when it closed down um, though, as i would go there the writing was on the wall because most of the little shops in the station started closing down one by one and then the arcade itself closed down i mean <laughs> like i've always said you know i'm always a little sad when an arcade closes its doors um i don't know what it was exactly going on back in those days but like i said You know, businesses, bars, shops, restaurants, they just started disappearing from downtown in the late 90s. You know, like I'd say probably like from, I'd say maybe 97 uh, all the way up to 2000. Um, But leading up to that time, I mean, downtown Orlando was buzzing. I mean, it was the place to be if you lived in Orlando or you were, of course, visiting from out of town, out of state, out of country. Um, but it was also the fact that in the mid-90s, the Orlando Magic, i um, <laughs> dare I say, cast a spell over the city. Um, but, you know, they had a really strong run going when they got Shaquille O'Neal in 1992. 2 I want to say or 1993 and then they got Penny Hardaway in 1994 and then uh just through those years like 1994 or excuse me 1995 they made the finals but they got swept by the Houston Rockets under rather tragic circumstances um but once that happened and then the years went on f- until like going into like 1990 Six In 97, Shaquille O'Neal left town to go to the Los, Los Angeles and play for the Lakers, and then Penny Hardaway started getting uh, multiple injuries, and after that started happening, the magic and the magic, you know, sort of faded away, you know. But I love that arcade. It was really cool. I mean, it was different. I mean, I'll go into more detail when I do an arcade review, which is coming within the next what three or four episodes. So stay tuned as always. Um, okay, if you lived in the Orlando, Florida area, you know, and you remember what Church Street Station was like, especially the arcade, hey, get a hold of me and tell me what you what you experienced. Arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Okay, from there, let's go right into Top Tens. Top Tens, arcade games of 1994. Okay, now I'm 25 years old going on 26 and life is pretty decent um i finally have a stable situation you know just a living situation with my roommate um we're going to arcades at least twice a week you know everything i've talked about um she's working in a mom mom and pop movie slash video game store so she's bringing home games almost every night for us to play you know, I have a fairly steady job at the supermarket down the street, and you know, I'm paying my share of rent and bills, and I have a little bit of change left over. You know, like all good things, they don't last, but at least for this year and part of the next, I'm pretty happy. You know, that's where I was in 1994. Um, let's see. As I've said before, these games are in no particular order. Just I felt these were the best games that I saw and played in the year of 1994. So let's get right to it. Uh, Aliens vs. Predator. This, and I know how ubiquitous and classic Final Fight is, but in my opinion, this is the best beat-em-up Capcom ever made. Better than The Punisher, better than Final Fight, or anything else that Capcom made in this genre, and I'd say that knowing that uh, Knights of the Round exist, That's a close number two in my book. But, you know, I loved it. I mean, I loved the concept. I loved the way the game looked, the graphics, the way the game played. It was awesome. Uh, you had two humans, uh, both of them cybernetically altered, and two predators uh, who basically team up to go after the alien queen and uncover the conspiracy made by the military in conjunction with the aliens which was really interesting you know to uncover as you play the game um I poured a ton of money into this game because you know just the whole package of the game the action the graphics you know the way the game looked the way the game sounded you know it just kept me coming back for more um when I got this game in emulation, yeah, I was able to beat it because I never had enough money, you know, to uh, beat it. Even though I was fairly decent at the game, I could get through three quarters of it before I would have to continue. And then by that time, you know, the the action is pretty hot and heavy. But we'll go into that uh, another time. Um, Art of Fighting Two. This game is where SNK started catching up with Capcom as far as the quality of their fighting games went. Um, not that they made bad fighting games, but the cheese factor in SNK's uh, fighting games and beat 'em ups was so high. You know, especially in the early days with games like Fatal Fury and Sengoku and things like that. You know, the game could be really, really cheap at times, but. Um, I played this game sparingly because I was much more of a Capcom guy, but I did notice um, when I saw like Art of Fighting 2 machines in my travels around uh, Orlando, Florida at the time, you know, I saw that this game actually was a really high quality game. I mean, I think they started raising the bar with Samurai Showdown and I think Art of Fighting 2 followed right along suit. So, yeah, that's Art of Fighting 2. Uh, Cruising USA. Um, this is a pretty good driving game, but the graphics left a little something to be desired. Um, Sega had made better looking driving games almost 10 years ago with Outrun and Super Hang On, you know, um, and it seemed to me, um, and I could be wrong about this, that Rare made this game specifically for the N64, which was coming out in a year but they decided to release it in the arcades first. I mean, it was a fun driving game, but there were better ones out there. Uh, let's see, Darkstalkers. Uh, this is a fighting game based off of horror myths, and it used the Super Street Fighter II turbo engine to execute it. I played this game uh, a few times, but by this time, um, a lot of the fighting games I was interested in were turbo games, and I just wasn't down with it. I didn't like it. Um I was very happy when they made a uh return to normal speed games and gave you the um option to play turbo like games like um Street Fighter Alpha 2 I, or Alpha 3 I should say. Um I think Alpha 2 had the selection but I may be wrong about that. But either way, um you know, I you know, it was it's interesting. I played it You know, a few times, like I said, you know, the action was interesting. The characters, some of them were more or less carbon copies of, uh, you know, Ryu and Ken, you know, the way you could uh, use them. But there were some that were really um, unique in their attacks and their special attacks and so forth. Not a bad game. It's just it wasn't for me because, you know, like I said... I didn't really particularly like turbo games. I never did. Um, But anyway, moving right along. Uh, Daytona USA. Uh, This game was graphically superior to Cruising USA, and the most fun you could have when you had um, four four or six machines linked together and people were down to race you um you had the easy track which was a high speed trioval like um Daytona International Speedway I think it's like a carbon copy of that speedway and then uh the medium and hard tracks were road courses um by this time playing a game of Daytona could cost as much as a dollar and in my consistent state of brokeitude in 1994 I didn't play it all that often Um, When I did find it for $0.50, yes, I sat down and played it. It was interesting. It was a really good racing game. Um, Elevator Action Returns. Uh, Let's see. I only played this game once in the arcades before I found it in emulation years later. Um, It took the original game, which I covered in um, Arcade Games 1983 um and they gave it a major graphic update and the gameplay is faster and more intense um you could choose from three players uh to play the game and they have their different strengths and weaknesses the premise is similar although what you're doing now is that you're going down through high-rise buildings to disarm bombs which are marked by red doors um you can also get get power-ups uh which augments your firepower and making it easier to dispatch the opposition which can get to you quickly so yeah that's needed. Yeah. Um, the game is is a lot of fun. I still play it every once in a while in emulation. Tato did a great job with this. They really did. Um, NBA Jam Tournament Edition. Okay, um, when NBA Jam came out the year before it was an instant hit. Um, you know, even before I left, just before I left Connecticut to move to Florida, you know, it was a massive hit in, uh, you know, in, I think, like Crazy 8's Arcade and a couple other places where they had it. I think Belford Rec had a machine. Um, people were all over this game, you know, from the start, you know, picking their favorite teams, you know, and dunking all over each other. You know, it was fun just to watch it, never mind to play it. Um, One year later, Midway comes out with an update and an upgrade, you know, because the gameplay is slightly different, but it's better. Um, The dunk animations are even crazier, you know. I mean, you can actually um, switch your lineup at halftime. There were more stats, you know. It was uh, just a fantastic game. Love it. Love it. I love this game. (laughs) to call back to the NBA ads of 80s and 90s okay Samurai Showdown 2 um I played this game only a couple of times I couldn't get quite get the hang of it I was better at its uh playing its predecessor um although I didn't have the time and the funds basically to put in the time with that game um there's with this game there's a power meter that fills up when you get hit or you inflict damage on the opponent and when the meter is full you can in- unleash a uh, finishing move or a power move if you, if you will um, graphically the game was a step up from the original and you know it was very interesting a very interesting game to play it really was okay moving right to Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo okay I was alright at this game You know, it took me a long time to get to Akuma playing Sagat because, yeah, I wasn't going away from, you know, the character that i had been playing since, uh, Champion Edition in 1992. Um, this game, uh, was where I had to change my fighting style up because, uh, my defensive style that I would use wasn't working that well anymore. Um most of the opposition had a way to fully evade my tiger shots now so um, it was a lot more difficult I had to work a lot harder at it I mean I've already told the story about how um, we found a super turbo machine uh, in um, a McDonald's game room uh, on International Drive and my um, and my roommate was good enough at super street fighter 2 that she actually could adapt her style of play to super turbo and it worked out pretty well and then uh that night like i've said before she actually beat got all the way through the game and was about to fight uh m bison as you always do Then all of a sudden this threatening dark character comes in from off screen beats the ever-loving crap out of bison and then now you got to fight him (laughs) and my roommate freaked out because she was like oh my god and you know because she was so you know startled by it you know she got you know akuma ran her off the machine but you know once that happened and you know she played a couple more games she actually beat akuma i don't think it was that day but it was soon after that um one of the things i loved about the game is that once you learned how to you know use the super combo it was really satisfying to you know take someone out using it um i would alternate between sagat and shin lee because you know like i said my the way i would use sagat was not working in this game anymore you know And, you know, using Chun-Li, she had interesting attacks, and her special was actually really good, so I would use her. But it took me a long time to beat this game, unlike my roommate. And, uh, finally, uh, X-Men Children of the Atom. This is a brand new fighting game, even though they kind of relied upon, you know, a lot of the same things that got them to the dance with with the Street Fighter, um... Series, you know, of games. Um, I was I was down with this game immediately because I could finally play as Wolverine, who was one of my favorite uh, characters uh, when I was collecting comic books. Um, it was typical of most Capcom fighting games, but it wasn't too bad. This was the start of the Super Jump era in their fighting games. And what I mean by that is that you push down and then you push up to jump high in the air. Which was good to escape from cross-ups and, you know, getting away from somebody using, you know, combos on you. Um, Little did I know at the time that Capcom was just getting started with their fighting games. There would be a lot more of these coming. Yes, there would be. Um, We might get to them. We might not. It all depends. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Honorable mentions. Space Invaders DX. I'm trying to remember where I first played this, and I can't. I want to say it was Rocky's replay, but it might have been elsewhere. Um, Mortal Kombat three and Ultimate Mortal Kombat three. You know, like I said, I give them their just due here, even though I wasn't a big fan of the MK games, never was. But I do reckon, I do, you know, bow my head to. You know something that came out of nowhere no one expected this game uh when the first war combat came out and you know it was a lot more brutal a lot more violent and you know you know it struck a chord with a lot of players i remember because um crazy eights arcade had two uh champion edition street fighter machines and one mortal Kombat machine and it was probably, I'd say probably about 55-45 in favor of Mortal Kombat as to people playing that playing that game. So, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people gravitated towards Mortal Kombat, so I give it as just due. Okay, and that's my top 10s with honorable mentions. Um, if there's anything uh, from this particular gear that you re- uh, like or remember playing and you want to, you know let me know about it or you want to talk about it hey hit me up arcade at gmail.com okay moving right along let's get into are you experienced i'm too old for this Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Hoppy, oh, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying like red in the heather, chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe you're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this You will not we're not too old for this shit. We're, we're not too old for this shit. Yeah. We're not too old for I'm this like you believe We're not too old for this shit. not too old for this shit. I'm not gonna shit. buy a hemorrhoid cut. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Discs of Tron. Yeah. This game, I only played a few times, but it left a v- lasting impression on me. I mean, it was one of the most gorgeous games in 1983. I mean, it was just awesome. Um... Like I said, it's just one of these games, it's a rare game. There are not very many places that have these games, but it's still a lot of fun. If you can find it, play it. You know, it's just, it just takes what Tron was and just goes to like a different level with it. It's awesome. But anyway, uh, let's get right to the information from Wikipedia, of course. Discs of Tron is the second arcade game based on the Disney film Tron, which was released in 1982. Uh, While the first Tron arcade game had several mini-games based on scenes in the movie, you know, grid bugs, light cycles, the MCP cone, battle tanks, all that stuff, Discs of Tron is a single game inspired by Tron's disc battle sequences and set in an arena similar to the one in the Highlight Style sequence. Uh, Let's see... Uh, the gameplay of Discs or Tron is based on several scenes in the Tron film, combining highlight like <laughs> just saying that five times fast. Highlight like combat between Flynn and Crom with the disc combat in between and with the disc combat between Tron and Sark at the end of the movie. Um, the player controls Tron in a one-on- one battle with Sark, presented in a fixed three dimensional view behind Tron. Using a control scheme similar to that of the original Tron arcade game, the player moves around with a joystick, throws discs with a trigger button, and defends with a thumb button. The player uses a rotary dial to move a targeting reticle around the arena walls and in later levels the player can also pull up and push down on the knob to aim up and down. Each match takes place in a closed arena on top of platforms made of concentric discs like in the highlight sequence. Tron and Sark attempt to destroy each other by either directly hitting their opponent and causing him to fall off his platform. Tron and Sark can each throw up three discs at a time. Assuming it is not destroyed, each disc automatically returns to the player and destroyed discs regenerate. Tron can defend himself by hitting Sark's discs with his own or by using a deflector, of which he has a limited supply. Sark can additionally attack Tron with high-speed missiles, chaser orbs, and super chasers, which consist of an orb and two orbiting discs, which cannot be deflected. In later levels, platforms begin to move up and down vertically, requiring the player to aim up and down as well. Tron and Sark can bounce discs off the ceiling, similar to the energy ball in the highlight sequence, with the goal of hitting one of their opponent's platforms. If successful, the platform flashes briefly, then disappears, reducing the character's movement or possibly calling him to f- causing him to fall and die. Uh, the platform reappears after about 10 seconds. For some levels, a continuously swirling wall of blocks appears between Tron and Sark. These blocks must be destroyed to open gaps in the wall before either character can hit the other. The game has a total of 12 levels, with Sark becoming more aggressive throughout the game. Once the 12th level is completed, levels repeat from 6 to 12 until the player runs out of lives. Let's see... Um, The game's original concept... Originally a fifth minigame in the original Tron, but it was cut due to time constraints. The concept was then repurposed for discs of Tron using more advanced hardware. And yeah, you can see it because everything looks so much better than the original Tron game, that's true. Um, This game was just released before the video game crash of 1983 and was later ported to the Commodore 64. In 2004, it was released again in the Game Boy Advance Game Tron 2.0. On February 13, 2008, Disney Interactive released an updated port on the Xbox Live Arcade for the Xbox 360. Oh, really? I may have to get that. Uh, Let's see. Uh, In 1996, Next Generation listed the arcade version as number 87 on their top 100 games of all time, calling it one of the first games to attempt a 3D environment. They remarked that the fast-paced and complex gameplay works due to the responsive controls. They also praised the enemy AI as advanced for its time, though they complained that a head-to-head multiplayer mode was an obvious feature that had not been included. There was no way they were going to do that. (laughs) You know, They'd have to completely redesign the cabinet, and the cabinet was revolutionary enough. (laughs) No way that was going to happen. Let's see. According to Twin Galaxies... Dave Bujenski of Syracuse, New York, United States, scored a world record 418,200 points on June 28, 1986 during the 1986 Video Game Masters Tournament. And that's all the information that I have about it. <laughs> but yeah. um, I've only played this game twice in my life. The first time was at Arnie's Place, I think, in 1984, and the second time was at the arcade in Brighton, where I work now uh, in I think 2018. Uh, The environmental cabinet is amazing because it really immerses you in the game. Uh, David Warner's voice taunting you and laughing at you when you die was a fantastic touch for an already great game though I will say that the game becomes unforgiving rather quickly. You have to know your angles, be quick with the block button, and be aware of your movement at all times because the enemies become more numerous as you go, as do the obstacles that block your shots. This game is a true test of your gaming acumen. It's a definitely a worthy sequel of the ubiquitous original Tron game. And that's how I feel about it. <laughs> okay. Now, because my, my knowledge of this game is limited, it doesn't get a... Um, time for some strategy, uh, makeover because yeah, <laughs> like I said, I only played it twice in my life. so yeah, um, but anyway, if you know more about this game, you know and you're you're actually good at it, you know, hey, talk to me, tell me what you know because I want to know. arcade addict at gmail.com. Okay, from there we will go to arcade Oops, sorry, <clears throat> let's redo that again three two one and finally let's do an arcade review Arcade Review, 1up Barcade, Farmington, Michigan. Okay, um, I discovered this place. Uh, one, uh, I think I discovered it online. I think on Facebook, if I'm not mistaken. And I was working in an adjacent town at the time, so I decided to give it a shot. And I went there after work one night. And here are my thoughts and ratings of everything to go on with this game, or with this uh, place. Um, as I've always said, there are five criteria to my reviews: location, selection, ambiance, functionality, and value. Um, location: uh, Is it easy to get to? You know, are there any major uh, roads or highways near it, which would contribute to its ease to get to? Um, is it easy to find once you get to the area, or do you have to search for it? You know, is there uh, sufficient parking in the area, you know, things like that. Uh, selection, how many machines do they have? Um, do they have a good cross section? Meaning, do they represent, uh, a lot of the classics or do they have new games or is it a mixture of the two? You know, things like that. Uh, ambiance, um, are there other things to draw your attention other than the games? You know, is there music playing? Are there is there art or um, back glasses or things like that to you know sort of immerse you into the little world they're creating in that arcade? Um, functionality: Do the games work? Do they look decent, or do they you know do they look decent or play bad, or is it vice versa? Things like that. And finally, it's value. Uh, do they run on quarters? Do they run on tokens? Do they do the free play option? Um, are there other things uh, near or attached to this place which uh, you know increase the value of the place, you know, like a restaurant or you know a bar like this place, things like that. Um, each criteria is rated 1 to 10 with half points coming into play. And I add them all together, average it out by 5, and come up with a total score at the end. So let's get right to it. Uh, Location. I give it a 6.5. The barcade is smack dab in the middle of the city of Farmington, just southeast of the intersection of Grand River Avenue and Farmington Road. Um, It's not far from the M5 Highway, which links up with Interstate 96 going west, Interstate 696 going east, and Interstate 275 and Interstate uh, 96 going south to a certain point then that goes east towards Detroit. Um, Despite that proximity I have to say that parking in downtown Farmington can be at a bit of a premium especially if there are any events going on at the same time that you're there. Um, There are plenty of lots to be found uh, aside from the dedicated parking lot for the one up at the rear of the building but be sure that anyone you select offers Uh, off-hours parking or you could wind up with a ticket and that'll put a damper on your experience for sure. Uh, Selection 8.0. There weren't that many machines when I went there back in the summer of 2019. Uh, They had about 20 uh, then but it now numbers over 30 after revisiting your website uh, a couple months ago. Um, I was very impressed with the cross-section of games ranging from Space Invaders Deluxe, to Galaga 88 to Mortal Kombat to Pac-Man 4-Way uh, they have pinball machines and also pop shot um, add to this that at the time of this review they had a Nintendo Switch uh, hooked up to a flat-screen TV at the bar so you could play and have a drink of your choice which was actually really cool um, they also had other things but I'll get to that when I get to uh, value um, Ambiance. Actually, it's in this one. I give uh, give the rating for Ambiance a straight-up 9. This place is fantastic. It's well-lit. There's always music playing. Uh, when I was there, they had these post-punk versions of songs I grew up with the 17th, set in the 70s and 80s, which had me giggling like a schoolgirl while I was playing, playing the games. Um... The bar is backlit by a uh, lit-up Pac-Man-style maze. Uh, The staff is very friendly, and they're always looking to keep the party going. Uh, Before the pandemic, they were holding Switch tournaments on the regular, and, you know, that's another thing that really, you know, gets my respect, because it seems to me that the staff knows what fun is and how to have it there, which I which is why I gave such a high rating on the ambiance. Functionality, I give it a 7. At the time of my visit, there were a few machines that were down for repairs. Uh, The Galaga machine I played uh, had an issue with the screen, uh, but the machine had a note on it saying that the game is going to be fixed soon and to play it at your own risk. Um, You know, that's good arcade that's a good way to run an arcade. Just to be able to tell people, hey, you know, we know this machine is, you know, not 100%. We're gonna fix it. If you wanna play it, you play it at your own risk. Um, you know, as a customer, that really, you know, that really, you know, makes that really pleases me because it, it shows that at the very least they care a little bit. So, yeah, I give that a seven. Uh, and value is a 7.5. Um, the reason for this being uh, the machines run off quarters and tokens. Um, you re- you get tokens when you order a drink at the bar, and of course you can also get uh, change for you know a dollar or two, you know whatever you want to do. Uh, that raises the about value uh, rating up way above average because you know not only uh do you can you order drinks and get tokens that way? You can actually, you know get you know get some quarters and play it that way. So if you're the designated driver, you can have some fun too. Um, you know, the only thing is is that each game pl- takes uh, 50 cents or two tokens to play. I mean, I could lower the value, but then I have to consider the burger bar, which is in the basement of this building. Um, The menu down there is a little pricey, but it's Farmington. Everything's a little pricey there, but the food is absolutely excellent. Um, I had a, uh, what did I have? I had a bacon Swiss cheeseburger that was awesome. Just absolutely fantastic uh, with a side of onion rings. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I had strawberry lemonade to drink with it. So, you know, that kind of put me in a good mood to go upstairs to the bar and check the place out and be able to notice things, you know, and my hunger not, you know, limiting my range of vision. (laughs) Okay, so you take all these criteria, add up the scores, average it out, and you get a total score 7.6, which is really good. Um, When I went to this place in summer 2019, you know, I liked it from the moment I walked in. I had just come off a long shift at work on a Friday, and this place gave me exactly what I needed—a good meal to quiet my empty and enraged stomach, uh, and video games to soothe my soul and relax me. Um, this place is a great. This is a great place to take a date, to either start off the night, end the night, or settle in and play some games, have some drinks, and have you know something to eat downstairs. Like I said, it is a little on the expensive side, but yeah, it's Farmington. (laughs) Almost everything's expensive in that town. Um, Anyone who lives in the area, they know that. (laughs) Um, I fully plan on going back there once everything opens up fully in the state, because at the time of this writing, uh, I did uh, write this review um, June 15th of this year. They're only open until 11 p.m. most nights, and they don't get the ball rolling until 5 so, it's not a huge window to plan a visit, but hopefully it won't always be that way. <laughs> One can hope <laughs> Delta variant. I'm looking at you, and I'm gonna stop there because I'll go on a rant about it. but anyway, if you uh live in the Farmington area or Novi or you know Bloomfield Hills anywhere close to this and you've been there or if you're a regular there and you you've been going there. Um, hey, get a hold of me, Brian at com. Tell me what, uh, what you feel about the place. Okay, um, let's see. Now that I remember, I forgot. I have an on-the-road segment which is pertinent to recent events of about a week ago. And when I heard the news, basically uh, one of my unofficial mentors in this particular podcasting circle is hanging up his shoes you know and I'm a little sad about it and when I heard about it and then I heard his reasoning for it you know I had I had thoughts about it so uh let's get on the road and you know you guys can hear what I see hear what I think about this so stay tuned folks Brian here and I'm just about to get on the road I'm starting my shift at the hospital I forgot to write something down so I have to back up to the gas tank and write down the amount of gas I put in the car before I get going I'm a little sad today I've been sad since I think what was it Friday when I saw the news on Facebook that Vic Sage was retiring from writing, blogging, and podcasting. You know, when he originally posted his news on Facebook, I was a little surprised, a little taken aback. But after he after i listened to his last podcast of diary of an arcade employee which was like a three-way podcast to coincide with this other two i understand <laughs> it still makes me sad because i mean i've said it ever since episode 0 of this podcast that he was, along with The Retroist, one of the main influences to inspire me to do this podcast. And my podcast is nowhere near as successful as theirs are, but at the same time, I'm not in competition. You know, just to explain that, I... Really needed. I remember when I'm listening to all these podcasts. I've been a fan of the Retroist and Vixage for years, years and years. And I mean, their podcasts helped me get through some really long nights on the road, especially when I was doing test driving, and I'm putting in a 500-mile route, and I'm struggling about, say, about the halfway point. You know, their podcasts, along with others, too many to name here, and my music helped me to keep alert, stay out of trouble for the most part, and get my job done. That's how it was whilst I was test driving. That's how it was when I was delivering treated steel parts. That's how it was when I was working at a uh, medical facility um, it, about half an hour from here and it's that way now. So hold on, I need to pause. I have to go back in real quick. Be right back. Okay, I'm back. Sorry about that, folks. I had to answer the call of nature. You know how it is. So anyway, the reason why I started my podcast, I mean, aside from Vic and the Retroist basically showing me the way as to how to do it. But the reason, the main reason why I wanted to do it was I had so many memories of games, you know, where I first saw them, how I learned to play them, the friendships that I made over these games through the years, and things like that. All those things. You know that I mean I had so so much information and so many memories stuck in my head that aside from just hitting record on my phone voice recorder and just blabbing and just just spilling out everything that was in my head, you know. I was thinking, hey, you know, video game, arcade video games are making a little bit of a comeback. I mean, this was back in what when I started started recording and stuff. I even before I got onto Anchor and started legitimately recording and uploading uh, episodes, um, I started recording these things in like 2016. That's two years before I even, you know, got onto Anchor and started a quote-unquote legitimate podcast. And so, I still have those notes, and I would be just talking and talking for hours, talking about this game, that game, the friends I've made, you know, the embarrassing situations that I put myself in and found myself in because of, you know, my love and addiction to video games and so on and so forth. And, you know, I would listen to Vic Sage and the Retroist and they would talk about, they'd say they would talk about a game like, you know, Dig Dug or something like that. And they would talk about the game and their experiences with it and then they would go into the description of the game um, there was a time when the retroist would go into really deep detail about you know the processor that was used and so on and so forth and I found that stuff just fascinating I don't even know how I found these podcasts I think I just did a search for arcades arcade on iTunes, and their names were like the first ones that came up, and after listening to both of them, I'm like, yeah, these are my people, (laughs) so anyway, you know, so yeah, I started doing these recordings in like 2016, and that's why when, if you've noticed, if you were paying attention, um, when I first started recording this podcast in the summer of 2018, I think it was like July of 2018, so yeah, it's my third anniversary now, Um, you'll notice that uh, a lot of the on the road segments were started in 2017, you know, and that's because I had to kind of work my courage up to do it. It's not the easiest thing in the world to put yourself out on the internet like that. You know. I mean, thankfully the all of almost all of the feedback I've gotten about my podcast has been positive, you know, and the the the, the criticism that I have had has been constructive and not just mean-spirited, thankfully. So I mean, so yeah, I mean, those, those two guys were like the direct influence. I mean, it's not like I'm new to podcasting because I'm not, I've been podcasting literally since 2010, you know, since I was sitting in a hotel room in, oh God, where was I? Oh, that's right. I was in a hotel room in, uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, I believe um, to explain that, um, I would, you know, I'm fairly active on several, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, forums, not the least of which is, um, oh my god, hold on, oh, oh, my memory just, my memory just short-circuited, wow, um, oh goodness, but, Suffice it to say that I've been on—I've been on several of them for uh, at that point in 2010. I want to say two years, three years in a couple of cases. So, and of course, being on message boards, someone will ask a question or post an opinion about you know a certain rule set of D&D or an adventure or their experiences with, you know, DMs or players being positive or negative. And I would respond and I would have to, you know, discussions and debates with people because just like almost everything else in life, you know, the the D&D experience for people is almost completely subjective it all comes down to the the way the DM is and the way the player's are. You know, whether you're running the game as a DM or you're participating in it as a player. So, you know, so everyone's experiences are different. Very few are exactly the same, even though I've seen a few and I've experienced, you know, discussing with someone a almost exact a mirror image experience you know, in a game you know, whatever it was be it, you know, a particular adventure or, you know the DM was being this way or a player was being that way, that kind of thing but so yeah, I mean, I got put on the, you know, of Hammer podcast in what, March in 2010 I think somewhere around there and you know uh, one of the guys who uh, I guess he liked me because apparently a lot of the things I said in you know discussion threads and things like that made sense or as it turns out he and I have the exact same birthday which is hilarious because he's like he's barely into his 40s and here I am I'm you know I'm Getting into my fifties, I'm, you know, going to be fifty-three in what five, a little less than, a little more than four months, like four and a half months. So, you know, one day, you know, he just emails me through the message board. He says, "Hey, do you want to be on a podcast about Second Edition D&D?" And I said, "Of course." To explain that um, I started playing D&D in 1981 and um, you know I went through uh, the Moldvay rules which were the basic rules and expert rules and then from there I went to first edition uh, AD&D then um, then Frank Manser put out the what is called the Beckmi rules, B-E-C-M-I, that's basic rules, expert rules, companion rules, master rules, immortals rules, over, oh goodness, he started in what, 83, and I think the master's rules came out in like, I think like 89, I think, so, And but then I went through that, and then in 1990, I got with a new gaming group, and um, one of the people in the group ran a second edition AD&D game. At that time, I was firmly dyed in the wool first edition. You know, even though I felt it was like a really heavy game to run, if you ran it a certain, you know, if you ran it as the rules, uh, as the creator. Gary Gygax intended to write it you know he changed his stance later on in his life but back during the 80s it was like heavily implied that you should use every rule in the first edition set you know and you just have to you know you just have to deal with it but either way so I got into a second edition game I was skeptical of course and then I actually played it and I was like oh my god this is so much better I mean it's just lighter you know there's no the heaviness has been all but removed so then I you know I was a a second edition D&D dungeon master and player from 1990 when I sold all my comic books to a uh a comic shop got store credit and started buying the um second edition rule books, and the supplements, you know, everything, Uh, character sheets, you know, what have you, whatever was out that really caught my interest, I bought it. Because I had, I think, like, what, $400 or $500 in store credit, because, you know, I sold up my comic collection. But anyway, so I've been deeply rooted in second edition, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, ever since you know ever since I started playing in 1990 and then in, ni- in 2000 when Wizards of the Coast bought TSR which was the company that made Dungeons and Dragons bought them up and then they decided to make a third edition and I you know after looking at the rule books and seeing how they completely changed the game um and also how more, much more expensive the rule books were, I was like, no, I'm not going any further than this. And that's where I've been for the last, what? Two, oh, what, 30 years or thereabouts? Or 20 years since that since that happened. But anyway, so yeah. Um, so I knew the second edition rule set up and down. And, you know, like I said, I had a lot of discussions on message boards with people, some of them good, some of them bad, because it's the internet and you can say anything about anybody with very little consequence, because you are a, you are, you know, a, 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 just a string of letters, you know, um, you know, unless you do something really heinous to have you, to, in order for you to be investigated by the police and say pretty much what you want. I mean, I've been called all kinds of names on these message boards because what I do is different than what they would do. Rather than just saying, well, okay, if that works for you, cool, but that doesn't work for me. You know, I'd rather do it like this. And it's like, okay, then we can agree to disagree. You know, with the rise of the internet, you know, just common courtesy started dying off in, I want to say, the early to mid-90s, as the internet rose rose up, as it became just this global phenomenon going into the mid to late-90s. But, anyway, I digress. So, you know, so yeah, I got a message from Someone else, you know, from someone on the message board, saying, "Hey, you want to be on podcast?" And I'm like, "Okay, cool. We're talking about Second Edition D D. Okay, I can do that. No problem." And thus, in episode number four of Thaco's Hammer, I was introduced, and I've been with that podcast ever since. It's eleven years now. Um, as a matter of fact, we just recorded episode number 169 uh, this afternoon. You know, you know, I work a lot. Um, one of the other co-hosts works a lot, and so we can't get together as often as you know we would like. Not only that, there are other mitigating circumstances which I'm not very happy with, and. You know, it just goes from there. But anyway, going, getting back to this podcast. So I'm not a stranger to podcasting. You know, I'm an avid listener of podcasts. I think I've got, oh goodness, I want to see at least, um, not counting all the episodes of this podcast, because you never know if somebody is curious about it and wants to take a listen. And not only that, I listen to my past podcasts so I can get better at making future ones. That's just how it is. Um, you know, it's not an ego thing; it's an "I want to get better" thing. But anyway, um, so even so, it's a lot different. It's a much different thing to be part of a part of a team doing a podcast than it is to do it solo. You know, because you, everything begins and ends with you. There's no buck to pass, it stops with you. So it took me, I would say probably about a year to kind of get the, you know, get the courage up to just start it and just to just do it. I mean, there were mitigating circumstances in 2017, I was working a full-time job, and I was putting in a lot of hours, and I still had two part-time jobs on top of it. So, you know, it took me a little while to get the mental acuity and the courage to start it up, but starting up, I did. And so, you know, I just basically have a formula. I put on a podcast once a month. You know, I record every three weeks and then I put out the episode the following week because that's all I have time for. And not only that, I don't want to burn through all of the information and memories (laughs) that I have about games and arcades and people that I've met and so on and so forth. Even though, you know, I think I there's a part of me that thinks I already have burned through like 80% of it. But either way, that's neither here nor there. So, you know, Vic, I understand his position exactly. I mean, you know, the pandemic has screwed us up something royal in a lot of ways. And we're only we're only scratching the surface as to how screwed up and messed up our lives have become because of the pandemic i mean he basically you know basically he got a position at a movie theater and he was promoted twice and now he's a manager of a movie theater and even though he's got to put in all the time you know got to put in full-time hours there you know he was also He says he felt like he was stretched thin, but quite honestly, as a person who is almost always riding this ragged edge between working four jobs, doing two podcasts, you know, and everything else going on in my life, including caring for a special needs son, you know, I understand burnout. I do. And I think he felt he was, he softened his language but he was burning out I believe he was doing too much I mean he had to give up his job at the Arcadia Retro Kid I found out and that makes me sad you know because I know he loved that job and he was working with his best friend in high, since high school so I get that I mean I wish he could have been able, you know, as far as I'm concerned, but that's just me talking. I wish he could have been able to just work full-time at the arcade, you know, and just you know kept kept things rolling, but you know, this is the best decision for for him. And I can't gainsay it, despite, you know, my selfish wishes. Because I enjoyed listening to him, you know, telling stories about, you know, games. That he played, you know, arcades that he used to go through, um, playing, uh, playing home games, uh, playing, you know, home console games with his grandmother. You know, I can I understand that because I have some of those kind of memories, and I do treasure them. You know, mostly it was you know playing games with my friends, or the time where my brother and I weren't butting heads and. We would play um, games on 2600, and we were constantly pushing each other to get better in order to be, you know, the the typical sibling rivalry. And the thing was is that as I got older, because I was playing games a lot more than he was, I got better, and I could beat him in almost every game except one. (laughs) You know and I think it really stuck in his craw that it was like that but whatever you know it is what it is so I understand where Vic is coming from because God only knows there are some days where you know I get the text from my cohorts at Thaco's Hammer and they want to do an episode and I'm like I have to actually sit back for a few minutes and actually take stock in what is going on before I respond and say yes or no. You know, if I'm worn out from working so working a lot and, or there's something going on with my son or his mother, you know, and I've got to devote my attention to that or even the, uh, the person who I do home care for and she needs me to go up there for some reason or to run an errand you know I have to take all that into account before I say yeah let's do it or no I can't do it you know so I understand I mean not only that the situation our podcast is or that podcast is in is a frustrating one for me I won't go into the details of it but suffice it to say that it really there are certain aspects to that podcast that really bug me and I'm just like most of the time I can grit my teeth and bear it but there are other times where I'm just like things should be different things should be better for us and they're not and that's all I'm gonna say about it um so yeah I mean I understand when you've been doing something for so long, he's been doing podcasting for 12 years. He has over 300 episodes. I only hope and pray I can make it to that number. I mean, as it stands, you know, I have enough material and enough, you know, in my head and enough that I have, uh, that I have, uh, written that I can go 100 episodes. I mean, I'm only at 40 now, so I've got another 60 to go. I mean, once I reach 100, then I'm going to have to take stock and see where it is and see where I'm at and go from there. But, you know, that was my goal. Actually, my my first goal was to make 50. And I already have enough material sitting, waiting in the wings for it to be you know, for me to do 50 episodes, easy, not a problem. So, will you know, so yes, this podcast is going to be around for quite some time. You know, whether you like it or you don't like it. <laughs> okay, I'm at a stop right now, so let me pause it while I take care of some business. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. So... Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've got enough material to go about a hundred episodes, maybe more. It all depends. But I mean, I mean, the one thing that I wish that I'd done, I wish I'd spaced out uh, story time a little bit more. I thought I had more stories than I did, but there are some, there are a lot of stories I have, but you know, the information about, you know, my recollection is just fuzzy. And I'd rather not put it out if it's not factual, because I don't want anybody coming back on me and, you know, saying, you know, hey, Brian, you know, you talk about this and, you know, how this happened here with this person or that person, and that's not, you know, that's not factual. It's not, it's not right. This is what really happened. I don't want to get called out like that. (laughs) No way. So, anyway, um, I mean, props to Vixage. I mean, you know, the first thing you need to know is to know when it's time to hang it up. You know, if, you, if it's not fun for you or if your life has changed to where you can't do it anymore or you've just been doing it for too long. And, you know, you just feel you know feel like you're empty or like he would say, he was quoting Bilbo Baggins in uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, you know, where he's like, he feels stretched thin and he needs a vacation and he needs to, you know, he needs to go away and he's probably not coming back. I get it, I understand totally. I mean, like I said, it's better it's always better to recognize when, you know, you're at that point than for someone else to tell you that you're at that point. <laughs> you know, no one wants to be told, you know, they've been, they've been, you know, at the party too long. No one wants that. Nobody wants that. So, I mean, props to him. I mean, right now, I mean, I understand. And then he's talking about his age. Actually, let me come back to that point. I'm at another stop. I'll be back in a moment. Okay, I'm back, if only for a couple of minutes. Um. Vic was talking about, you know, his age and how tired he was feeling. And things were at the point when he was, you know, working, you know, through the pandemic where he's trying to, you know, take care of himself and his wife and his home you know all that stuff and he's talking about being so tired that he would fall asleep at the dinner table with food in his mouth because he was so worn out i've been there (laughs) oh man when i was doing when i was delivering treated steel parts that job was physically not easy but Just from a mental standpoint, it wasn't easy for several reasons, not the least of which was having to get up at, well, towards the end, I had to get up at like quarter of five to be there by 5.30 in order to start, you know, get my truck loaded and start my route. And at that point, it was like, I gotta get, I just have to get out of this job. It's driving me up a wall. It's killing me because I was ha- I was basically um, working 4 days a week but I was putting in 10 11 hour days. And yeah, that that can really take a toll on you, especially it's one thing if you're you know, a young buck in your 20s. But you know, when you're you know an old grizzled veteran, <laughs> a wily veteran in his 40s. Yeah, that's that's rough. That's rough on you. Yeah, you that's know, rough on you physically, and it's rough on you mentally. So I get it. I get where he's coming from. You know, we'll see how it works with me because, silly me, I'm working four jobs and working seven days a week, but it's all part time. It's not full. None of it's full time. So I can get away with it for now, but I may have to change it. I mean. I'm hoping that I can stay at the arcade for a little while, but we'll see. I mean, it doesn't hurt matters that the arcade is only open on the weekend, but you know, you never know. All depends on whether or not, you know, my availability is feasible for the owner we'll see we shall see so anyway um let me pause it again I'm at another stop I'll be right back okay I'm back so yeah I mean that's the that's one of the problems when you're when, you can't, when you're not able to be a full-time podcaster, that you're not making enough money from whatever revenue you make from your podcast to be able to support yourself, support your family. I mean, psh, would I love to make about, what, $3,000, $4,000 a month, to where all I have to do is just do stuff for the podcast? yes absolutely that's more time i can spend at home with my son that's more time that i can just be there for the people that i care about you know and not being able to and i'm not greedy i'm not like some of these streamers who make like a what a million dollars a year you know a couple million dollars a year or a couple hundred thousand dollars a month or whatever you know because there are those you know there are those who like have like you know a couple hundred thousand followers and whatever streaming platform that they uh, that the streamer uses they donate to you know i mean i would love to be able to shift the podcast to a streaming platform like twitch you know and you know do live recordings and that kind of thing you know actually do a podcast and do like a live podcast that's you know an adjunct to the main podcast where you know people can you know participate directly because that's a good way to get people involved and also a way for you know especially if you monetize it slightly, it's a good way to get extra money in your pocket, you know, just to be able to, you know, pay your bills and, you know, buy your food and pay for your car and all that kind of fun stuff, you know, that's something that I would love to do, you know, that, that would be a great, that would be like my last career, <laughs> That would be the very last career I would have if I was able to do that. I mean, one of the people I follow on Twitch, go, who goes by the name of Buana, I've been following him for oh my God, how long? At least eight years, maybe as maybe as long as ten, something like that. I mean, it was just after JustinTeeth TV became Twitch. Just after that. So that's when I found—I found him on um, on uh, Leo Laporte's show that he would do. He was a guest on that show, but you know, just by watching him and you know seeing him interact, I'm like, yeah, he's my guy. He's my kind of people. So then I found him a couple years later on Twitch, and there I am. You know i donate to him on the regular because i like what he does he's funny he's very entertaining you know and he's you know i mean there are a couple other people on twitch that i support in that way i mean i remember oh that's right i remember I found one after I got into Marvel Heroes. That's what it was. And it was from another streamer, actually, now that I think about it, because I followed that streamer for a long time. For I think for like about a year. You know, I didn't uh, donate to him but because I was broke all the time. But you know, I supported him and I watched him regularly. And it was just like that, and then Buana showed up one day. I'm like, I know that guy; he's got a stream. Okay, let's do that. So I went over there, and you know, because the thing was, it was like him, the original, the original podcast or the original streamer I was following, Buana, and then another another uh, pod, streamer named Rushlock, Rushlock who you know, I found he was, he was really cool, and we were all into Marvel Heroes, and we would get, we would all get together and do community stuff, you know, we would, you know, help somebody through a really hard part of the game, and try to get him, you know, um, epic level uh, equipment for his hero, and that kind of stuff, that was awesome, so yeah, I mean, I would love to be at that point, I mean, just yesterday or not yesterday just Saturday Juan's um, gotten Juana got a ton of you know subscriptions and donations and so forth you know because people like him he was he's entertaining he's not like ninja who you know has a couple hundred thousand followers and you know pulls in seven figures easy or how dr disrespect used to you know before he kind of got canceled. You know it was the same thing but anyway um actually you want to know what i need to focus on getting my job done tonight i'm already several minutes behind and i need to focus not to mention i need to get something to eat because i'm starving i haven't eaten all day um and i can go on and on about this topic for a while but i think i'll cut it short right here uh so this is brian saying have fun out there good gaming stay safe au revoir This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbryan at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.